John the Viking Mauser here with the Get Strong or Die podcast. I believe this is episode five. We're here today with um, our, our uh, most popular guest so far, Paul Mauser. Um, what are we going to talk about today, Paul? Well, John, I am back once again for two reasons. Reason number one, you just said it, the people need more Paul in their lives, or at least that's what I tell myself at night so I can get a good night's sleep. The second reason is because this is the most controversial podcast ever produced. In fact, it's so controversial that your original guest was banned from participating in the podcast today. He was actually detained but by, fo- by folks that, that uh, I, I, I'm not at liberty to name, but was detained, was withheld, and was ordered not to be here on the podcast today. So I, I am here to fill in and uh, help create some more controversy and excitement here. <laughs> All right. So what's, uh, what's on the lineup today? What do we have to talk about? Well, I tell you what, uh, I've been seeing a lot of stuff um, lately about uh, body weight exercises, body weight training. That stuff certainly has a place. Uh, I'd like to talk about that a little bit, what the place is, what the purpose is, what can, uh, how it can be used best, and you know how uh, maybe it's not used so well. On top of that, we can talk about the Appalachian Team Championships, which uh, just went down Saturday. Go through that event by event. And of course, probably the most popular segment based on no research or data that I have seen, old wrestling stories from our wrestling days. John? Let's get this thing rolling. All right, so we're going to talk about body weight training first. Um, I know that uh, you know, first I want to say there's nothing wrong with um, body weight training. I think it has a it has a purpose, has a place for some people that might take um, that might be their primary method of strength training. Um, I don't think that's ideal, and I don't think that's going to work the best for every person. But I know there's certain situations where that could be beneficial. Um, what are some of the problems and pitfalls that you see with, um, you know, trying to do a program strictly based on body weight training? Why do we got to start in the negative, man? Usually it's pros and cons. We usually start with the pros first. Come on, you 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 making me dog it already? <laughs> I was I was open, so okay, fine, okay. So you know the the limitation of body weight training is exactly in the name of it is that you have only your body weight now. There are ways you can manipulate that to make certain movements tougher and yada, yada, yada. But when you're talking about progressing a certain movement with body weight only training, you know, you're very limited in how you can progress. And progress, progression is the key to improvement. You know, if, I'm, uh, if, if my primary pressing movement, you know, to, uh, to develop the triceps, develop the delts, develop the pecs, yada, 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 if that is push-ups, my only option with push-ups, if I'm doing true body weight only training, is just to do more push-ups. Now, you know, you can put your feet up on a bench, you can do this, you can do that, you can do a few different things, but at the end of the day, if I weigh 130 pounds and I'm doing push-ups, I'm only going to gain the strength available from using 130 pounds. I will never gain the strength from 130 pound body weight push-ups that someone would gain from a 400 plus pound bench press it will not happen yeah i think you know like you you hit the um nail on the head there the the limitations in the name the limitations in what you're doing you're only moving your body and we briefly uh, we, we touched on this in another podcast i believe it was you and i where um we talked about reps versus um maxing out 
And you kind of run into a similar situation here. You're just going to have to continuously add reps with the body weight stuff. You know, once you can do 20 push-ups in a row, then you're going to do 30, then you're going to do 40, then you're going to do 50, and so on and so forth. And you're essentially training at that point just to move the amount of weight that your body is. Okay? Granted, and assuming you're not gaining weight. Um, whereas a better tactic overall would be to load it. Load that load weight on, load up, and um, start progressing and working up towards moving the most amount of weight. Because at the end of the day, that's also going to yield the most amount of reps. Um, and I'm not talking just a bench press. You could load up the body weight stuff if that was the route you wanted to take. You could put weight on your back and do the push-ups or you know whatever, however you wanted to do it. Um, and I think that would be much more beneficial. Uh, as far as building up the reps and building up the strength. But I mean, both ways is going to be more beneficial in that area. Yeah, I tend to agree. Uh, you know, one of my favorite uh, variations of body weight training to do when I was on the road um, years ago in the oil field, uh, you know, I had very, very limited time to train. Uh, you know, sometimes it would be 16, 18, 20, whatever hour work days. You had, you know, very little time. Uh, to do any sort of meaningful training, I would bring a band or a couple of bands with me in uh, in my uh, in my bag. I'd have it in my hotel room, and I would wrap the the band around and use that to add resistance to the push-ups. Because I I knew just you know even at the time you know 230 pounds or whatever I was uh, at that time, um, that wasn't enough resistance. Yeah. So so grabbing that band, uh, wrapping that around that made it very tough you know I, using uh, using even a, a moderate strength band on that made it incredibly hard yeah and i think once you break a certain amount of reps you know there's a there's going to be a certain threshold a certain amount of reps where once you break that the benefits that you start to see from this are going to be fewer and fewer and fewer. I mean, obviously doing anything is going to yield a certain amount of benefit, but when you're breaking into doing, you know, a hundred push-ups, when you can do a hundred push-ups in one shot, you're not going to see much results. You're going to end up in a situation where, um, you know, uh, Eddie Hall or Andy Bolton's a good example talked about it. When he deadlifted a thousand pounds, when you make it to that level, um, he trained a whole year to add like three pounds to his deadlift or a pound to his deadlift. And um, you're going to run into that a lot faster with bodyweight stuff. When you when you can do 100 push-ups, you're going to have to do 100 push-ups for a very long time before you can do 103 push-ups. You're just not going to be yielding the same amount of benefits as if you were loading it. Loading is key to progression. Uh, it's It also depends what your goal is. You know, a lot of the bodyweight training programs that I see are a little misguided. Um, you know, they advertise it as a strength program. You know, oh, this is going to get you stronger. This is going to make you more explosive. This is going to make you better able to perform X, Y, and Z. You know, doing doing push-ups, and we're, we're kind of, you know, stuck on push-ups here, but, that, you know, let's just say squats. Let's just say, let's say air squats, you know, just a good old-fashioned, uh, uh, what they what they always call them in, in, in pro wrestling, Hindu squats. Hindu squats. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or um, squats, yeah. You know. Uh, your unloaded squats, they're only going to yield so much. You know, you're, you're not going to build strong glutes, hams, quads, etc. You're not going to build up these, you know, these muscles that are important to protecting the knee, the muscles that are important to uh, vertical jumps, the muscles that are important to, uh, 
you know, acceleration out of the blocks on a sprint, et cetera, et cetera, when you're only using your body weight for resistance because you need to produce force that is well in excess of your body weight in order to succeed at those movements. Yes, yeah, certainly. Um, I think, you know, we could cite uh, uh, science and, and studies and stuff that, that prove what we're saying. I mean, if the, the data is out there. Who cares about science? Um, but I think an obvious, uh, an obvious example that anybody can see is the NFL and professional sports in general, uh, except for um, MMA and, and joke sports. But, uh, <laughs> but so the NFL, it's, it's, the NFL has the most amount of money of any sport in the United States. Okay, so they have the most amount of research. They have the most amount of um, anything, uh, anything along those lines. The NFL is, is looking at it and they're experimenting with it. And you'd be hard-pressed to find an NFL team that's only doing body weight exercises. I, I would say that even the, the Cleveland Browns, God bless them, even the Browns are doing some weight training. And, <laughs> and, you know, a lot of the same arguments you could say apply to football that do with these other things. You know, MMA people want to do only body weight stuff, and uh, wrestlers only want to do body weight stuff, and, and they're, uh, karate people. And, and outside of martial arts, there's people that do that too. But – the NFL would have the same argument, you know, that the, the linemen are going to run into other people their same size, so that's the only amount of weight that they would need to move, theoretically. Um, they want to be fast and not slow, so they shouldn't be lifting weights, right? You know, all these same arguments that the uh, body weight people use would still apply to football, but football is not doing only body weight stuff. In fact, um, it's it, from most of the programs I've seen, it's a small majority of what they're doing. And they're just lifting a lot of weights and getting really strong. And I don't think anybody would argue that, number one, NFL guys aren't strong. I mean, they are strong. I mean, you see NFL guys in videos doing things that um, elite-level powerlifters do. I mean, these dudes are could easily switch from football to powerlifting and do well, most of them. Um, and you, you can't argue they're not fast. I mean, these guys are running – I don't even watch football, but they're running 40 times that are incredible, you know. And I bet they're all squatting. You know, I don't. I doubt there's anybody in the NFL squatting under four or five hundred pounds. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would tend to agree with that, and, and many of them in excess of that. You have a guy like, uh, of course, a great probably the most well-known example is uh, James Harrison. Uh, one reason that the guy is what 40, 40 years old now, maybe coming up on forty-one, something in the neighborhood, mm-hmm. uh, which might as well be ninety in NFL years. Uh, one reason that the guy has so much longevity is because he's so strong. He, yeah. he, he trains, he does a lot of weight training, he, do, he trains properly, he knows how to progress, he, know, he knows when to push and when to back off, and he's so strong that it protects him on the field, it makes him a better player, it makes him more immune to fatigue, and guess, guess when you get hurt, when you're fatigued, right? Yeah. Um, I, think, I think another pitfall of um – Body weight training comes from comes from the reps that, and this is something people don't talk about. The reps take time. Uh, it it will take you a lot longer to do 500 body weight squats than it would to just throw some weight on the bar and do a set of five real quick. It's just going to take longer. Um, so you you have you're going to be spending a lot more time for less benefit from doing the body weight stuff unless you're really innovative in how you're you're progressing you know you can switch to one-legged squats sure that's tough but eventually you're going to stagnate there too unless you're a really big guy you know for me i could probably do single-legged squats for a pretty long time and get some benefit out of it 
but most people are not 338 pounds. Most of the people that come to me and train uh, are not 338 pounds. A lot of them are literally half that. Most of them are half that. Um, Three, so, uh, th 338? Yeah. You, you skipped breakfast today? What, what happened? <laughs> yeah, I, I always, well, I don't always, but uh, I skip breakfast frequently. We'll get into the Mauser, John the Viking uh, diet one of these days on the podcast. But Teaser, teaser, folks. Um, the diet episode is coming. And a good example of what I'm talking about is there's a, there's a book called, um, I believe it's called Convict Conditioning. And um, now it's been a while since I've looked at this. So some, some of this, uh, you, you might have to bear with me a little bit, but the gist of the book was this guy did a bunch of bodyweight training when he was in prison. And all he was doing was like push-ups and stuff and pull-ups and whatnot in his cell. And um, he said he didn't like to go out onto the yard where the weights were, so he just did his stuff in his cell. And uh, at some point, he just randomly decides, hey, I'm going to sign up for this uh, in-prison powerlifting meet. Like, not an official thing, unofficial. And, they, and he goes and lifts in this meet. And he's, I think he was like 150 pounds, 155 pounds or something. And he benched 315 or whatever. And that was like a big, like, hey, whoa, man, I can get really strong off of body weight stuff. This sounds amazing, right? Mm. Well, then when he talks about what he was doing in his cell, he talks about how he did 1,000 push-ups every single day. 1,000? A thousand push-ups every single day to bench press three fifteen. <laughs> how how long how, how long does it take to get through a thousand push-ups? Right. That's it, that's one movement that he's doing for a thousand reps every single day. One movement. We're not talking about multiple exercises here. We're talking about one movement right. every day. So you got a thousand. Let's put this in perspective here. You got a job, you got kids, maybe you got a couple of jobs, you got you got things going on in your life. Do you have time to do a thousand reps of a single exercise every single day? And let's not even talk about what the rest of, of what the rest of your program is supposed to look like. Of course the guy in prison has time for it, he's got nothing else to do. Right. And, you know, yeah, he has nothing else to do. People aren't going to be able to do that. Uh, most people aren't going to be able to do half that. And, and then you're going to be neglecting a whole slew of other things. I mean, if you're doing 1,000 or even 500 push-ups just as part of your workout, how much time are you going to have to overhead press? How, what are you going to do for pull-ups? What are you going to do for squats? And then um, into another problem with body weight stuff, what do you do for your lower back? The lower back is a, a huge thing um, um, with athletes, you know, especially strength athletes. But more importantly, the general population, everybody has a bad back, everybody has a weak back, everybody has a hurt back. And then you're going to say, well, hey, you should only do body weight stuff. Well, what do you think? How, what are you going to do for your back that just involves your body weight? Part of the thought process there from the general population is that in order to have a healthy back, you have to avoid using it at all costs. And that is completely ass backward type of thinking. You know, you, you need to use your, if you don't use it, you lose it. You know, that's, that's why desk job, people that work desk jobs have worse backs than, you know, people that have been doing heavy weightlifting for 20, 30 years. Yeah. So it's impressive that you can do a thousand pushups. I'll give you that. And it's impressive that you can bench press 315 if you weigh 150 pounds. Right. But if you hurt your back moving my couch, then you're really not that impressive. <laughs> like, you know, uh, there, there's a huge problem there. And I, the best way to work the back is with weight. Your back is very strong and your back works in conjunction with other large muscle groups. Um, you know, as long as you're not isolating it, the hamstrings are involved. Uh, 
you know, the hips are involved, all that sort of thing. And you can move a lot of weight with your back and it should be treated as such. Um, even if you want to take it easy, I'm not saying you should be doing max deadlifts and stuff if you're not a strength athlete, but you should probably be doing some sort of some sort of deadlift type movement with weight. Um, even if even if your only goal is, hey, I don't want to have a bad back or I don't want to die of a heart attack someday. Those are probably good goals. Good, you know, not to die of a heart attack. So we're talking about doing a ton of reps, right? He, the, the, the guy in question did, you know, probably millions of reps in order to, in order to reach this, uh, this 315. Um, overuse injuries are a big deal. Yes. And the number one cause of overuse injuries is repetition. It, it, it's the volume. Generally, you know, if you had a, a very low volume, very high intensity uh, type of program, and when I talk about intensity, I'm talking about a, a percentage of a maximum effort. Those programs aren't the ones that, that produce a lot of joint issues. It's the ones with tons and tons of volume and, ton, and tons of repetition. That's, you know, that's the number one cause of these, these overuse injuries is uh, repetition, especially repetition if you have improper movement patterns. Now you've got a double whammy. So if, you know, if you're doing 1,000 push-ups a day, I hope, for, for God's sakes, I hope you're, you're doing them correctly. Yeah, and I think um, on top of the, the volume, the frequency, I mean, the guy was doing 1,000 every single day. It wasn't like, hey, every Saturday I'm going to do 1,000 push-ups. This was day in and day out, 1,000 push-ups. And, um, you know, the lighter you are, the more you can probably get away with this, although I, I personally wouldn't take the gamble, but you can probably get away with it. But to say a blanket statement like, hey, everybody needs to be doing bodyweight stuff. Like, can you imagine if I went out and tried to do, to build up to 1,000 push-ups every single day at 338 pounds? I, with, I mean, with, with 200 and, uh, you know, a whatever, 200-ish more pounds uh, resistance than Mr. Convict Man? Yeah, I mean, it would be, it would be disastrous. Uh, I, I might be able to um, come up with a, a progression to where I could start off easy and build my way up to that. I don't know why I would do that, but you know, I might be able to. And I think that goes back to another point too. These things, you with with weights, it's very easy to say, "Hey, it doesn't matter what you weigh. You're starting with the bar, and we're going to add X amount of pounds every week, right?" With body weight, it's like, "Hey, here's 150 pounds or 300 pounds. That's what you're working with." And not everybody is ready for that. Um, and it would take, it'll take somebody with a pretty good degree um, of, of knowledge and experience, not just somebody that went to school and got like a coaching degree or something, somebody with a little more experience than that and with more certifications than that and more knowledge than that to grab a 205-pound person and build them up to where they can do 1,000 push-ups every day safely um, you know, you, you can't, I don't think that the average person or the average trainee could, could pull that off. You'd need somebody with a decent amount of expertise. So if someone came to you and said, my goal is to do a thousand pushups a day, what would your, what would your first conversation with them be like? You know, would, would it be, okay, why do you want to do this? Or, you know, what, what's, what's the purpose of this? Or, you know, are, are you comfortable with using, you know, weight training to get there? Yeah, the conversation would start off with why, because I think a lot of people have these goals, and I see this all the time, people come to me with these weird, weird goals, and then they'll say that that's the goal, but that's really not the goal. 
you know, I want to squat a, or I want to do a thousand push-ups, you know, and then you say why, and they say, well, because I think X, Y, and Z. Because they think it's going to help them do something else. Right. So then the first thing is like, well, let's evaluate the goal and see if the goal is actually what, you know, are, is that what we want to do? Do you really want to do a thousand push-ups? Is that the actual goal? It, yeah. and, and if it is, then I would say, okay, well, I've got bad news for you because the focus of the program probably isn't going to be on a lot of push-ups, high rep push-ups. You know, I'm going to try to get you really strong and we're going to treat the push-ups like a sport. So we're going to train for that. We're not going to just do push-ups. Does that make sense? Right. Like we're going to do some heavy bench press. We're going to do some overhead press. We're going to work on the lats. We're going to do this sort of stuff. And the push-ups are going to be in there, but they're not going to be at the forefront. Yeah, you're going to do a legitimate strength and conditioning program to build up to that goal, which right. is going to get someone to that goal a whole lot faster than if they just repeated the movement over and over. Exactly. And, um, you know, like I said, you, you don't see people doing this stuff in the big money sports. Most of the time when you see people doing this stuff, it's like um, there's those uh, Hannibal is King and those bodyweight guys that work out on the gymnastics bars in that park in New York. Mm -hmm. Those guys are, I mean, they look incredible and they're really strong. They're really smart about their progression and stuff. But I don't have never heard any of them bragging about being crazy strong or anything like that outside of what they do. And um, you also see they're these, also not getting paid millions upon millions of dollars like professional athletes are. Right. And they're not athletes outside of that, that I know of. That's just what they do. They're like, hey, we do bodyweight stuff. Cool. <laughs> you know, and that's cool. Yeah, I like those guys. I watch those videos and I, and I take some of their ideas um, because they are the best at bodyweight stuff, period. So you look at that and you say, what kind of bodyweight stuff's the best? I look at Hannibal as king and I say, this guy's the best. I'm going to steal what he's doing. And um, But some of the other stuff you see is, uh, you know, there's sumo wrestling, um, which... I plan to do a sumo wrestling competition within by the end of 2019. Jim, Jim Bassett, did you hear it? Did you hear it, Jim? <laughs> it is official. I'm in talks with some people. But I know that one of the big things they do there is they have these big sumo guys. You know, they weigh three, 400 pounds, sometimes more. Um, and they do 500 Hindu squats a day. People think that's, um, that's insane and that's crazy. I think even in Ric Flair's book, he talks about it. He talks about how he, because uh, sumo wrestlers and pro wrestlers, like when they get together in Japan, they hang out for whatever reason. There's like this weird camaraderie there. And they would go hang out at these sumo gyms. And I think it's I think it was Ric Flair talked about how they made him do uh, 500 or 1,000 air squats. And he was so sorry he couldn't walk and stuff. And um, it's just these weird oddball sports where, where this sort of stuff is very, very, um, very common, you know, uh, and and that that's cool. But I, I think you know I'm not going to take that route when I train for sumo. <laughs> I'm going to stick with what I'm doing. I'm going to do. I'm going to put, you know, 400 pounds on my back, and I'm going to squat that, and that's how I'm going to prepare for sumo. And um, if nothing else, I am going to hopefully be stronger than those people. Strength matters. Yeah, that that's the plan, you know. Um, another good example of the bodyweight stuff that I've seen was uh, I saw a post on a yoga uh, page. Um, I do the Beyond Yoga class at uh, Viking Performance with Hannah the Destroyer on Mondays and Wednesdays at 4 p.m. And uh, so I follow some yoga pages just to see like some cool um, stretches and stuff. And I set goals for myself like, hey, I'm going to do this stretch or that stretch. So it's cool to watch and see what other people are doing and how they got there. But I always see these um, posts. And I saw this woman, she did a, a one-legged yoga pose. So basically you're standing up, right, 
and then you put all your weight onto one leg and you lean forward like a Superman. So both hands are forward and one leg is backward, but you're standing on one leg, right? Um, there's a name for that pose. It escapes me. And I don't care what the name is. Oh, we call that the Paul Mauser because I'm so good at it and so graceful. <laughs> okay, so so here she is doing the Paul Mauser pose, and she shows this pose from like like two years ago, right? And it shows the pose. She she's like she's like uh, struggling with it. You can tell it's still picture, but you can see she's not that great at it. And then the next picture, she's got it down, and it's pretty flawless or whatever. And then in the bulk of the um, content, uh, the text of the um, post, she says. Hey, I've been working on my core strength for um, 18 months, and now I'm able to do this pose. And, and I'm thinking, well, I I can almost do it that good. I've never done it before. <laughs> you know, like these in these yoga people, they love that body weight stuff, and they use yoga as their strength training, which is foolish, because you use yoga for what it is, and then you use strength training for what it is. And it took her 18 months to develop a strong enough core to hold her body up. <laughs> I mean, this is foolish to me. You could go in the weight room and in three weeks be able to do that. Literally three weeks of in the weight room, I could get you to do that pose. And I've proved it before. I've had people come in and they wanted to do um, headstands. And it takes, uh, well, well, the yoga people always think it takes a tremendous amount of core strength to do a headstand. And I... I've, I can just usually, after if I consistently try it for like a week, I can just do it. It doesn't take a tremendous amount of core strength. It just takes some core strength. And I, I would venture to say that at, uh, at you know, Sasquatch size, um, it probably takes a whole lot more strength than what the average person would in order to do that. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm 6'5 and 338 pounds, so you got the weight and the height, you know, um, and... I just don't think it's a tremendous display of core strength. And you can ask anybody, you know, better than anybody probably, but you can ask people at the gym. I don't even do core work. I mean, you, you couldn't name the last time I did a sit-up or, or a plank or anything like that. Like, I just don't normally do it. Every now and again, I'll do it for a little while, but I don't, I don't make any conscious effort to work my core. Hey, you know what is a great tool to use to build core strength? That is the Mauser block available at mauserpower.com. <laughs> yeah, I use the Mauser block a lot. You know, I get my core work indirectly through things like that. And uh, <laughs> cheap plug, <laughs> and and that's enough. You know, it's all it's all about saving time. And and I think a lot of these people, they can't admit that they're not experts. You know, you get into yoga, and you, then all of a sudden you're brainwashed into thinking that like, hey man, yoga is going to make me strong. It's going to make me fast. I'm going to be able to fly. I'm going to be able to read people's minds, like. <laughs> That's what you think. And it's the same thing. You go to a martial arts gym and the idiots that go there, they'll say, oh, I know how to do uh, jiu-jitsu or kung fu. Um, I'm also a, an expert in strength training. <laughs> it's like, well, really, how did, where did you, you know, where's the proof of this? Because I actually have the proof for this. You know, I, I can show you my martial arts credentials and I can show you my strength training credentials. And you can go down into the gym and you can ask people what they, if they think I'm lying. Um, but I think most people just cannot, cannot, uh, they're not comfortable enough with admitting like, Hey, that's not actually my area of expertise. And even though that's something you see on the professional level all the time, um, there's not a professional football team out there where the football coach is also doing the strength training. They hire somebody 
there's most successful MMA guys are going to an MMA camp where they're being trained by a Muay Thai specialist, a jiu-jitsu specialist, maybe a guy to tie it together, and then they have a strength coach, if they have one at all. But they, they do delegate out to different experts for each area. And I think on the amateur level, and I think this is what separates amateurs from professionals, on the amateur level, you don't have that. These people think that they know everything. And... Um, you, you run into that a lot. Yeah, strength and conditioning is the only field I can think of off the top of my head that everyone else in every other field thinks they're an expert in without having any sort of actual credentials or proof to back that up. And and I've heard this argument um, in relation to that, that, uh, you know, well, this person, they have this degree or they have this certification or whatever, but the degrees and certifications in the field um, – are not that difficult to get, right? And I think that something that's overlooked a lot is, uh, you know, there are good um, doctors and lawyers and there are bad doctors and lawyers, but they both went to med school or law school. You know, just because you have the same degree does not mean that you are are, are equal uh, in, per, in performance or, or on the job in any way, shape, or form. And the same goes with the certifications. You could get two people that have certifications and it doesn't mean anything. Um, you could have somebody without a certification and well actually there's a lot of people without certifications that i would pick over people with multiple certifications because they're just better at what they do those things are not a good in this particular area those things are not a good indication of um, what you're getting and with the certifications you know it's it's one thing to have them but you i, I feel like you need some real life stuff on top of that um in order in order to really be an expert and vice versa i feel like you know a lot of people think oh well hey i'm really strong okay maybe maybe i squatted 500 pounds legitimately legitimately not not too many people can but you know maybe i did legit well everybody out of high school told me they can squat (laughs) everybody in high school and everybody had a cousin right but you know it goes vice versa. Just because somebody lifted something heavy doesn't mean they're an expert. That doesn't, no. you know, it is, I feel like when, when people are looking for a strength and conditioning coach, they need to do a little, a little research. They need to dig in a little deeper. They need to say, okay, you know, what are this person's qualifications? Um, talk, you know, talk to some of the people they work with, talk to some of the athletes they work with, you know, um, talk, talk to them. You can, you can fig, you can usually figure out, pretty quickly when you talk to somebody whether they're full of shit or not yeah you know t- t- turn on your bs meter go you know go talk to somebody and and you know see see if you think they're uh blow, blowing you full of smoke you know if they're te- if if they're telling you things that sound too good to be true then they probably are yeah and and just to go on about that a little bit more i think um the experience in lifting is important I don't think it's completely necessary sometimes, but I think it's a very important thing to have because the game changes as you progress. When, when you are deadlifting 300 pounds, it is completely different than when you're deadlifting 600 pounds. A person who has deadlifted, actually a better metric I think would be 700 pounds. A person that has deadlifted 700 pounds or more will learn a lot more than somebody who hasn't. Okay. There's, there's just certain things about your form. You'll find out, you know, um, when you it's, and I, I say this all the time and I get a lot of heat for it, but a rounded upper back 
and, and I'm, I can't get into all the details right now about this because there's a certain amount that's legit and a certain amount that's not, but a rounded upper back, it's going to happen at 700 plus pounds. But you'll get people, trainers out there that say, oh, you know, don't do that. But those trainers can't deadlift 315. <laughs> you know, it's like when you get 700 pounds on the back, do you really think your rear delt is going to like hold that? <laughs> it's not going to happen. Um, so you learn things, and you also learn about recovery. The game changes when you can when you're deadlifting 315 or 405. You can deadlift two, three times a week probably, and not suffer any repercussions. If if you are deadlifting 700 pounds multiple times a week you're going to learn something very quickly and that's probably either that you need to see um, a pharmacist (laughs) or a psychiatrist (laughs) or you better back off a little bit and have some light days if you're going to be doing that because um, the 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 damage dealt to the muscles and the nervous system of 700 pounds is greatly different than what is done at 400 pounds Hey, speaking of huge poundages, we saw some huge poundages this past Saturday at the Appalachian Team Championships. John, I think it's time that we talk about 2018 teams and Team Fairhands on the podium once again. Second place, congrats to you and the rest of the Bearhands crew. Man, what did you uh, what did you think of the show? Um, the Team Championships is... Uh in my opinion, it's the second best show um, in West Virginia, the first being the Forest Festival. But that being said, this is the most important show to me and many of my teammates. Um, this is the Appalachian Team Championships, so it's a regional championship, basically. Um, but more so than that, it's at least a national championship in my mind and a lot of the other people's minds because there's nobody doing this anywhere else. So teams are literally coming from all over the U.S. to this event because they're not held anywhere else. And um, it's it's unofficially kind of like a national championship, and that's how I view it, and that's how my team takes it. We view it very, uh, you know, it's very important, and we train for it. We train as a team. We communicate throughout the year periodically leading up to this thing, and, and we show up prepared. I'm glad you said that because – it, uh, it, it really is sort of like an unofficial national championship. We have people come from all over the place, uh, you know, people from Chicago, Florida, et cetera, et cetera, um, that, that come in for this. And, you know, I don't – I've had the offer to run a national team championships under a different format, and I haven't uh, – you know, I haven't grabbed that by the reins yet. Um, this show, keeping it the way that it is, I can do it my way. I can set up the rules the way that I want. I can set up the team of format the way that I want. And to me, that's the beauty of this show is the team format. You have to have a female. You have to have a, a sub-200. You have to have a sub-231. You have to have a heavyweight. And then you're allowed two extra members of any weight class on your team as well. On any given event, four people are doing something. And... That makes it, in my opinion, that makes it an actual team contest. Not pairs, not couples, an actual team contest where there is strategy involved, where you have to, you have to work together with an entire crew of people in, in order to, to achieve a goal. It's not like, okay, um, I'm doing reps and you're doing reps and we're just going to add the reps together and that's it. 
anybody could, that, that, that that's still to me that's still very very much an individual thing because there's no teamwork there's no uh, there's no planning that goes into that you don't have to sit down and and in, in a war room and draw up a game plan for that you, you know you're, you're just you're just lifting with uh, at that point so I like to design the events to where the teams that are the most cohesive, the teams that work the best together, the teams that you know that know their strengths and weaknesses and know who to assign to which which part of the challenge, uh, those are the teams that get the reward. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I think that's what makes the show so exciting, and that's why I think the people uh, it actually gets a large crowd from the Three Rivers Festival. Um, I think that's what the fans come to see, and uh, it makes it it makes it very exciting, and it breaks. Um, kind of the monotony of the regular competitions because because it's a different a very different dynamic when you get out there because um, you know normally when you're doing an event at a regular one person uh, strongman competition it's like you're out there for a minute like grinding doing something or whatever and, and in this it's like you do your part and you pass the torch so to speak and then the next person runs with the ball so a good example of that one is the okay first event First event was, we called it Hit by a Truck. Um, that name later became rather ironic uh, in my life as I was actually hit by a truck. Um, <laughs> I think somewhat shortly after announcing that. Um, so competitors had to uh, start off with a chain drag. Okay, we, we, have this, we have this gigantic Republic Services truck, something in the neighborhood of, of, of 30 or 35,000 pounds, I believe. Um, female co competitor has to start she drags a 350 pound chain runs back and tags the next guy uh, 200 pound competitor he's got to drag a 500 pound chain he runs back tags the next guy 231 pound competitor with a 700 pound chain every time they make a tag they get to run over to the truck and help a heavyweight that's already stationed there push that truck up the course and when I say up the course, I do mean up the course because there's a bit of a grade, especially at the start there. So, uh, you know, that, that definitely requires some teamwork. Everybody's performance is important there because not only do you, you know, not only do you need people to be able to push that truck, but they've got to be able to handle the chains in order to get there and help with the truck at all. Yeah, I mean, you saw um, there were some teams that had trouble with the chains and their chain draggers never made it to the truck. Um, so the the truck pushers were you know just two or three members, and they had to deal with the um, truck or whatever, and and that certainly hurts your time, um, and and can make a big difference there. So let, let's look at it from uh, Team Bearhands perspective. Strong, strong event for you guys. I don't remember exactly where you placed at, and quite frankly, I'm unprepared. I do not have my score sheets with me, um, but uh, str strong event for Bearhands there. Give give me the lowdown on this event. From from t the perspective of Team Bearhands, you know what what was your plan coming in? Uh, how do you feel like your performance was, and what do you think of that event? Uh, I don't think our performance could have got much uh, much better. We uh, we started with me on the truck. Um, I'm a, a pretty good truck pusher and puller. Uh, anything it's where I'm leaned forward and moving forward, I'm pretty good at. Um, so I started on the truck, and then we had uh, Ashley Flanagan was on the. Um, the 350 chain um, and she's a really strong woman from uh, Buchanan so she was going first then she tagged um, uh, Jeff Giosi who is uh, incredibly strong incredibly fast uh, he's a pretty well-known CrossFitter here in Morgantown from CrossFit Morgantown and he carried the um, 
believe it was a 500 pound chain. And then he tagged in Jake Reynolds, um, who is an incredibly strong 231 from Ohio. And he did the double chain and carried the uh, 700 pounds. And we had Jake do the 700 pounds because we knew that um, he would be the fastest. You know, we were like, we want the fastest people in this event that can that can get the chain done the quickest and get to the truck. That was our, our main objective is get people to the truck and we'll move it. Because um, I knew that I'm a very strong truck pusher. So if we can get people there, we can get it going really fast. And it paid off. I think we got second or third in that event. Yeah, and that, those are those are some uh, pretty darn impressive athletes you just mentioned there. Ashley Flanagan just coming off a podium finish at Maidens of Might back in March, uh, in in the most stacked middleweight class in in, um, in West Virginia history. Uh, Jeff Giosi, not only uh, not only a CrossFitter and strongman, but he's also done he's also done some powerlifting. I mean, you just you won't meet a guy who's more well rounded when it comes to uh, when it comes to strength uh, than Jeff is. And then uh, Jake Jake Reynolds. You said you wanted the you wanted a guy who was fast on the uh, on the 700 pound chains, and he may have been the fastest guy in the whole contest on the 700 pound chains. He's got something like a, you know 500 plus, maybe 600 at this point pound front squat. I can't remember exactly what he's what he said on that, but I, I know it's uh, at least a 500 pound front squat. Um, and so he put those quads to good good use. And I mean, he's shot like a rocket, and, and those, those 700 pound chains are humbling. That's an incredibly humbling thing to grab, and he really manhandled them. Everybody, you know, did their part, got to the truck, and you guys put up a, a, a very impressive time on that and, and finished the course. Yeah, like I said, I think we got second or third there. Um, we went, we went in knowing that was going to be a, a real strong event for us. That's one that uh, every year that's changed. We always have the truck. But it's always changed a little bit from year to year. You know, in in the first year or two, we did a did a farmer's walk before you before you would go to the truck. Then we switched to uh, we switched to kegs. You had to carry kegs before you could get to the truck. I think we did something else another year. I can't remember exactly what it was this year. Uh, it was the chain drag, which may have been the toughest version yet because you toast your quads on the chain drag, and then you got to go push this truck. Yeah. So it may have, may have been the toughest version of it yet. Yeah, we knew that was going to be a strong event, and then the final event, the tug of war, we knew we were going to be, um, you know, we were going to be uh, pretty strong in that event too. You're jumping the gun on me here. You're <laughs> jumping all the way to tug of war. We haven't talked about the event that was voted the most anticipated of all the events on on the online poll, the most anticipated, and apparently it lived up to the hype because it was voted the number one favorite event after on the online poll, the, the event that people enjoyed the most, and that was Hercules versus Atlas. We had two Hercules hold stations. Each Hercules hold was linked to a stone shouldering station, and the amount of time that you had to bang out reps on the stone shouldering was determined by how long your partner in that station held onto the Hercules hold. Total number of reps won, you guys, once again, very strong event here, and you in particular had easily a minute and 15 or longer Hercules hold on that, which gave Hannah the Destroyer a lot of time to, to bang out reps, so you guys ended up tied for second on that, and, uh, you know, just, just
just to give you a chance to toot your own horn here for a minute, I, I think a big part of that was because you were able to hold on so damn long to that Hercules hold. Yeah, that was the plan. We wanted to get the two strongest um, Hercules hold people on on the Hercules holds, and uh, you know, basically that came down to me, Jake, and Hannah were um, our options as far as we were concerned for the Hercules hold. But Hannah is really fast with stone to shoulder, and and with the weight that she had to use and everything, it was just a smart play to put Jake on the other one and let Hannah do um, the reps because they would be so fast, and it paid off. Um, she actually got credited with maybe nine reps or something, eight or nine maybe, and but she missed two at the end um, just from fatigue. They they she wasn't able to keep the stone up there long enough. She missed two reps or whatever, um, but I held through those two. And that was the plan, you know, just hold on until basically the reps aren't possible anymore. <laughs> yeah, and you talked about the fatigue. Stone to shoulder is a very exhausting lift. That is a very exhausting event. And for, for my money, stone to shoulder, it's, it's one of my favorite uh, ways to contest Atlas stones, and it's probably also the most exhausting. So, you know, after she's banging out five reps, six reps, seven reps, it was in the mid-80s that day and about 100% humidity. So the exhaustion and the fatigue was setting in big time right there. You had Ashley Flanagan on the other platform. So you had both of your stone loaders, I think. Or am, I, am I wrong on that one? Yeah, Ashley Flanagan was on the other one. We knew she'd be strong on the stones as well. Um, Ashley just has pure pure raw strength. I don't think she even has stones to train with. So um, she came up during the team practices and did stones. Um, I think she made it to two of our team practices, did stones twice. And, and we just turned her loose because we, we knew we could trust her performance. And uh, she did great. I think she got. Um, she must have got. She got a handful of reps. Yeah, I think. I think. She, I think so. she got you know four or five reps on that. And one thing that Ashley has that a lot of people in the game ignore, she has very strong arms, hands, and wrists. Her 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 biceps are strong. Her hands are strong. Her wrists are strong. And you know this was this was contested without tacky, without tacky towels, without Loctite, without any sort of BS whatsoever. No sticky stuff allowed. Pick up a stone like they did a thousand years ago and, and take it up to your shoulder. And in order to do it like that, you have to have the hands, you have to have the wrists, you have to have the arms to do it because you're not glued to the stone. Right. And so that was a, that was a big, big benefit for her on that event was just how strong she is from the shoulder down to the fingertips. <clears throat> Yeah, I agree, and that, you know that's why we put her um, put her in the stone spot. You know, it takes uh, those attributes, and then I think it takes grit too. There's there's people that don't know how to grind, and um, don't put those people on a stone to shoulder. So what what do you think of your performance overall on that event? What do you think of the event in general? Is that one is that one you want to see come back? And uh, you know, how do you think the game plan played out? The game plan played out to a T. I mean, I, I don't think we could have asked for a much better, um, uh, much better performance. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it's a great event. I'd like to see it back. Um, those are two of my favorite events together. Um, I'd like to do the Stone Shoulder and the Hercules, but you can't do both, so you got to pick one. But yeah, I would love to see that one come back for sure. Fantastic. Third event was the Partner Carry to Press 
uh, press event, we had uh, four different pressing stations set up. In a nutshell, female uh, team member had to carry male team members to uh, various pressing stations of their choice. Once again, strategy played a huge role here because the heavier implements were worth more points than the lighter implements. So it, it wasn't just total reps combined. It was, okay, who am I going to put on the heaviest implement because that one's worth this amount? Which, which station are we going to take someone to first? Who's going to be able to get reps here? Do we put our strongest presser here? Do we put our strongest presser there? And then on top of that, the, for my money, the female had the toughest job here because she had to carry three team members across a 30-foot course, and then she had to run to a station of her own and try to bang out reps on a log. I, I, think, uh, I think five out of nine teams, the female zeroed the log. And under normal circumstances, I think all of them could have got a rep, a rep or two there. But after doing three partner carries down the course, it was a it was a big task. Yeah, well, that's that's actually a big thing that's discussed and um, you know fought about in strongman is is you know how much conditioning is involved and how much uh, movement and whatnot is involved. And I think this is a prime example of of uh, of how it does matter in certain competitions and why it should matter because. You know, these athletes, these women had to run 30 feet down, grab a dude, run 30 feet back, do that three times, and then try to lift. Um, uh, the minimum was the 105-pound log and try to do reps with it with the remaining amount of time. And some of them were so defeated by carrying their male counterparts that they couldn't press the log. And, um, you know, I, I think that uh, – People need to work on that kind of stuff. People need to definitely recognize, like, hey, this is a, this is an issue, um, and not to get into it too much. But I think, yeah, it's the essence of strongman. I think you know it, it should resemble uh, work. You know, like back in the day when I used to watch it, you like so one of the big things is when you were watching those people, you're like, you know, I'd hire him to do like a job. <laughs> yeah, like I'd, I'd, I'd hire him to be a farm hand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. As a matter um, of fact, you know, a lot of these guys were Magnus Samuelson, you know, very, very famous. He was a, he, he was a farmer, but we've gotten away from that. A lot of, you know, um, a lot of people don't look at it that way anymore, but, uh, I do look at it that way. And I think that that event, I mean, that's a, that, that spells it out right there, man. If you can't run for 30 seconds and then press a log once, you know what to work on. Yeah. And well, it was also in the strategy of who you put on the event. So some of the some of the women suffered terribly because they, because everybody you know or, or two out of the three people they had to carry were heavyweights because only the heavyweights on the team could handle the pressing implements. Right. Well, the team the teams like uh, like a Windy City Windy City Rumble the de- the defending champions, you know they were a much lighter team. Mm-hmm. So you know to carry a guy like Quint Zambin. Uh, who can press whatever, you know, you can put anything in front of that guy. He's going to press it over his head. I've been carrying Quint for, what's this, five years now? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so you take a guy like Quint, he, you know, he, a guy like him is clutch on that event because he's not very heavy, he's easy to carry, so he's not going to fatigue your, your, uh, your female, and, you know, whatever station you take him to, he's going to be able to press whatever you put in front of him and get, get some points out of it. So the team's... On that particular event, the teams that had smaller guys that could press, that could really press big weights, those teams did a little bit better than the teams who who had to only rely on their heavyweights 
in order to press these big ass implements. Right. Yeah, there's definitely um, some strategy there, and I'm always I'm always timid to talk about um, strategy or technique uh, to anybody, or especially on the podcast when it can be taken out of context because people will think that at the end of the day, it's technique or strategy that's winning or whatever, you know, uh, clearly the strongest people are still going to win. That's the number one thing. But yeah, strategy, uh, especially in this competition, uh, plays maybe a bigger role in this one than other competitions. But, yeah. You uh, know, it, it, it might, it might make the, it might make the difference at the end of the day between having 38 points and having 36 points, you know? Right. Um, because, because you, you just, you just need to think about it and say, okay, where, where where are our strengths and weaknesses? Yeah. How how do we build this game plan, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. St- strong. At the end of the day, strongest te- whoever you know the strongest team wins. Whoever whoever was the strongest on that day, you know who whoever was the the best on that day still wins. And uh, you know, speaking of Windy City, they've they've proven it quite a few times. Yeah, uh, at least three. Um. So yeah, that was the pressing event. The fourth event was the wheelbarrow event. Um, this was the event that we knew uh, this is going to be our weakest event. We knew that going in. And then we had a roster change um, last minute, and we decided to take Tim uh, King off of the uh, wheelbarrow and put Jake Reynolds on the wheelbarrow, which um, I had faith in Jake. Uh, you, know, <laughs> you know, he's really strong. I've seen him. He, he's done like 350 farmer's walks and stuff, so I didn't have much uh, – much concern there, but there was a little bit of concern within the team as to how well the event would go, and um, and uh, it had rained uh, a while, a little bit. Everybody was dealing with um, wet stones, and um, you know anybody that's lifted no tacky stones knows they're already tough, and then the rain makes it a little bit tougher. Um, everybody had to deal with it though, but it was still like, hey man, you, when you go out there and you grab hold of those stones, like make sure you get it grabbed good because you don't want to slip and waste time and i actually had a slip on mine and we uh but we loaded it and we did we actually did way better than we thought we were going to at the end um and then we had a uh a technical slip up where um, one of our members put the stone in the wrong hole in the basket so we got a penalty or whatever but uh, I didn't even mind at that point because we had did so much better than what we thought we were going to. It was like, yeah, whatever. So, yeah, it was it was a it was a solid time. Um, so you did the first zone. You tossed you tossed in the uh, the first stone in, into the first uh, compartment on the wheelbarrow. Uh, Jeff Giosi got the second stone. Hannah with the last stone. Um, advantage with Hannah being a lightweight female. That helped because that's less body weight in the wheelbarrow. Advantage with Jeff because he's, you know, he was your 200 class guy, but really he walks around at 175. Um, so that's less weight in the barrow. But you, on the first stone being in the first compartment, that puts the most percentage of weight in that first compartment on the handles. So when you toss that stone in and then your big ass jumps in, that put a lot of weight on, on our poor buddy Jake Reynolds right there. Um, he handled it well. Well, something that a lot of people don't realize about me, Paul, I'm a very light 338 pounds. You're made of feathers? <laughs> I am mostly made out of marshmallow goo, and uh, I'm a very light 338 pounds. Ah, yes. If you picked me up, you would think I was more around 337 pounds. Really? It's that much of a difference. That much of a difference. Maybe... You know, maybe gravity only applies to you when you're on the scale. Yes. 
<laughs> yep. Maybe maybe that's what it is right there. But yeah. Um, so yeah, got got a penalty on a technicality there. Actually, and and you you haven't punched me in the face yet for this, um, and neither is anyone else on the team. But I actually gave you guys a ten second penalty on that because it was by putting the stone into the wrong compartment and Jeff jumping in the wrong compartment that drastically changed the amount of weight that the wheelbarrow man, that Jake, had to carry in the wheelbarrow to the next station. It wasn't just like a slide penalty. It wasn't just like, okay, you slid a couple of inches across the finish line, so we're going to give you a two-second penalty. I had to make an executive decision on the spot of what to do in that situation, and um, I gave you guys a 10-second penalty on that. It, 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 only, it only ended up costing you one placing on the event. Um, but I, I, think, uh, I think a lot of people might think that's a bit harsh of a penalty. Um, and uh, our mother might disown me um, for giving you such a, such a harsh penalty on that. But I just wanted to take a moment to explain why that penalty was given. And it's because the, the compartment whichever compartment that you're supposed to put the stone in and then of course you have to hop on top of the stone um if you're you know if you're listening these listeners are hopefully getting a good visual of what we're talking about here they had to load the stone in and then jump on top of the stone and take a ride in the wheelbarrow yeah um the compartment that you load in is very important to how much weight is on the handles because it's all based on leverage so when jeff put it in the wrong compartment that very much changed how much weight that jake had to carry and uh, that's why such a harsh penalty was given there. Yeah, we didn't mind. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, it kind of sucked, but we didn't mind too much because, uh, like I said, you know, we weren't even sure we were going to finish the event. And then, um, uh, I mean, if you don't do it right, you get penalized. So, <laughs> yeah, you can be frustrated with it, but you can't. I mean, there's not much you can do about it. So, you know, you just move on. Um, and it, I don't think it didn't end up hurting our. Uh, are overall either so it wasn't a big deal um then next up we had our favorite or at least my favorite event was the tug of war tug of war um, we strategized this pretty well uh we kept tim off the field for the whole event saved him up a 400 pound behemoth who was completely fresh for the tug of war then um then you had me on there and i love the combative events um i could be you could bleed me out before the event, and I'll give it 110% when I get out there. Um, and then we had Jake Reynolds and Ashley Flanagan, and that was the four people we never rotated out. We kept those four people in every event. And um, I know there were some people uh, whining and complaining out there about the – There was a, the, we were on the parking lot in a parking lot, and they complaining because there was some grade to the parking lot or whatever. But I can tell you that um, – and I don't know if you did this on purpose or not. I'm assuming you did. But um, most of the teams were swapping sides after every match. So if once you went once, um, you were on the other side, unless you faced a team that had also been on the same side, and then it was just a crapshoot as to who was on what side or whatever. But um, we won all of our matches. We went undefeated and got first place in the tug-of-war. And every match, we swapped sides. Um, so we were up the grade, down the grade. And, and honestly, I didn't even realize there was a grade until people were, you know, complaining about it. And then I was like, oh, well, maybe there is because um, for Team Bearhands, it, it didn't matter. You could have put, you could have, 
you could have put five members on the other teams and we'd have done what we had to do. You guys were on fire. We, <laughs> I, I think we could have tied the rope to the, to the uh, Republic Services truck, fired up the engine and put her in drive, and you guys probably still would have gave the truck a good fight. Um, you guys were, were definitely uh, definitely came for blood on, on the uh, tug of war. You meant business. Won that event, went undefeated, um, 3-0. and And, yeah, you know, it's, it's West Virginia. It's the Mountain State. We're, you know, we're using the space that we're provided by the festival. God bless the Three Rivers Festival for uh, for having us every year, and, you know, may, maybe maybe there is a, a you know a tad bit of a grade. You can't really see it by looking at it, but you know, it's 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 a little bit. It's, it's a parking I, lot. I, I, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a parking lot in Westford. There is no flat land here. Yeah, there, I mean, we, there, there is no flat land. We could so, have packed up and went to the airport, I guess. But yeah, so you know, I. Uh, we do the best we could to find the best spot that we could use um, for that event, and you know, actually, two two out of two out of three of your matches, you were on what was being called the bad side. You were on what was being called the disadvantaged side, and you still won. Yeah, in in, in two out of three of those matches. Um, and for the record. You can put us on the bad side every time if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so so you know we we did the best best we could with that. Um, clearly, in my mind, the right team still you know still still won the event. You guys, well, yeah, you guys were on fire. Uh, that was a huge huge first place finish in that event that locked up second place overall uh, for Team Bare Hands. Um, you know, keeping keeping Big Tim rested, uh, keeping him rested, and, and and I imagine well fed throughout the competition <laughs> yes. was was a, probably a very smart move, uh, a big boost right there. Um, in the end, uh, Purple Thunder Sparkles uh, grabbed uh, third place. Um, I love that name. If if we had a an award for best team name, I think they would have got it. Uh, there was another one I would have voted on. We will not mention that. Um, <laughs> Team Bear Hands grabbed second place, uh, and the Hillbilly Heathens grabbed first place. It was their uh, second title, and they they uh, it was very well earned. They had three first place finishes in the event. Um, hard to argue uh, with that. They actually uh, they won the event. The overall, um, I think, by a four and a half point margin, and this is so competitive every year that uh, I think I'll have to do my research here. But I think that's the biggest margin of victory um, that we've ever seen at teams, and it was only four and a half points, because normally this contest is decided by one or less points. Um, so big, sh- big shout out to the Heathens there. They did a, a tremendous job, and I'm sure I'm sure Team Bearhands is looking forward to the rematch with the Heathens uh, in, in 2019. <clears throat> Yeah, for sure. We're definitely coming back. Um, we've already talked. Probably going to have the same team next year. Uh, you know, as long as everything goes accordingly, we'll have the same team next year. We're looking forward to doing it. And um, that's one that we plan on doing, or at least I plan on doing every year, that in uh, the uh, Elkins Forest Festival. Hey, do we have time to get into some old wrestling stories here? Can, can we squeeze in some, some, some tales? <laughs> um, yeah, I think so. Okay, so we, we had a request. That's all right. Listeners, we take requests. Make sure you leave your uh, requests uh, in, in comments or, uh, or send us a PM or something of that nature or just post on the Mauser Strength Dynamics page. 
and let us know what stories you want to hear. We had a request to hear about uh, one Mr. John Mauser, uh, at the time known as Buttercup, um, the back alley uh, heroin addicted uh, hobo. Um, and Buttercup came to the ring and had a snack one time. Can you tell? Can you tell us about this snack and, and can you tell us about the nutritional value of this? <laughs> yeah. So this was, um, I believe, this was at 304 Wrestling in Huntington, and um, we we were at uh, I think it was Remedies. Is that right? Uh, yes. The, I I believe this was at Remedies. They had this big area um, out back that was that was the the wrestling venue. There were I mean there were bleachers and everything back there. Yeah, it looked like a little baseball field or softball field or something but it was right, like it was, really small and they put a wrestling ring in the middle yeah the it, it was it was a it was a bar and the guy the guy that owned the bar was a huge wrestling fan and he literally turned the giant yard area in the back of the bar into his own like basically wrestling arena yeah the coolest thing about those shows were they had a uh a giant um, projector screen outside, like the WWE Titantron or the WCW Titantron or whoever had that. I, I tell you what, man, for for, cool. for indie shows in West Virginia, man, he he put a little bit into the production on that. I'll tell you, we had, you know, there were there were nights that we had pyro. Uh, he sometimes he had uh, you know live music to kick off the show. We had a giant screen. He put the shows on DVD. You know we're talking we're talking back in the early two thousands. You know what I mean? Putting the shows on DVD. Yeah, and he brought in big names too. Jake the Snake, Buff Bagwell, a few guys. But uh, yes, yeah, so I'm doing this show. I think this might have been my first actual show for them, and um, I had with me the Colorado Corn Snake as my manager. The Colorado Corn Snake, Travis T. My lord. And uh, so I. I uh, I was pretty pumped up. I got my gear together. I dressed like a hobo, and um, I had to get some stuff for the match. And I went to the grocery store because I was going to uh, do this bit as I came to the ring, and I needed to buy some uh, dog food. So I bought the cheapest possible dog food I could find, and then I was going to buy some uh, really cheap cereal. And then uh, when I got to the store, I remembered I also needed a water bottle because if it if you never wrestled, you wouldn't understand this, but you have to wet your hair when you have long hair, or it's just like a nightmare in the ring. Yeah, you, you, if you have a lot of hair, you do not want it to be dry going into the ring. So I bought a, a cheap, like, $1 spray bottle, and I left, and I get to the show, and then I'm setting up, and, you know, they gave us a warning shot, like, hey, 30 minutes, you're up or something. So I get all my gear on, and I take the dog food bag, and I, I tear it open, and I ruffle it up so it looks like, you know, I've had it for a few days. And then I start looking for the cereal because what I was going to do was I was going to dump all the dog food out and put cereal into the dog food bag. That way I could just eat cereal instead of dog food. <laughs> well, it turns now, now, now I noticed some verbiage that you used there and you said was going to. Yeah. So I in my when I thought about the water bottle, I forego buying the cereal and I guess I forgot or maybe I left it at the store. Whatever the case, the cereal didn't show up in the bag when I got to the uh, venue, so I just had dog food, and I'm, I'm like, well, what do I do now? I got this whole sketch worked out where I have to walk to the ring with this, right? So I, I did what any normal, rational human being would do, and I tore the, tag, the, the dog food open and poured half of it out, ruffled the bag up so it looked like I'd had this thing for a while, 
And when my music hit and I walked to the ring, I walked to the ring and I scoop my hand in the bag and throw in my mouth a huge hand of dog food. <laughs> <laughs> the show must go on. So you're wa- you're walking to the ring. You've you've got to perform after this, okay? Yeah, I'm walking to the performance. Yeah, you're walking to the ring. You've got to pr- and you you eat a mouthful of dog food. Did you give it a test run backstage? Did you give it a test run? Or, I did not. Or this, this was a total surprise. Like, okay, I'm just going to go out there, see what happens. If I gag, I gag. If I puke, I puke. Uh, what did it taste like? Well, you know, I was prepared for the taste. That wasn't even a concern. I was like, you know, I mean, I can eat this, you know, like it's not a big deal. Um, when, when you do a lot of weight lifting and stuff, you drink a lot of disgusting protein powders and eat protein bars and stuff. So I was like, dog food, it'll be nothing, you know. I mean, when you eat six cans of tuna in a day, it's like dog food should be nothing, right? So If it's good enough for Milo and Otis, it's good enough for us, right? <laughs> right. So that wasn't a problem. The taste, um, you know, it didn't have much of a taste, honestly. It was just, you know, this is the, now you got to imagine, this is the cheapest dog food I could find. Okay, like you actually probably wouldn't feed this to your dog. <laughs> <laughs> this is the El Cheapo dollar store brand, yeah. <laughs> So this is like something you'd buy a punching bag and fill with or something. <laughs> so, so I, I uh, you know, the taste didn't bother me, but the hardness of this stuff. I mean, it, you'd have thought I threw gravel in my mouth. It was so hard and I'm chomping down on it. And, and I legitimately think my teeth might break. Like there, this thought goes through my mind as I'm walking down the ramp to the ring. And I'm thinking, man, it's so dry. It dried my entire mouth out. <laughs> I couldn't really swallow very well. And I'm thinking, I sure can't swallow this whole. I mean, it was like swallowing caltrips or something. <laughs> and uh, so I'm chewing on this. I really think my teeth might break. <laughs> and, but then at the same time in my mind, I'm like, I can't spit this out. Because if I spit this out, it's a huge breach of character. Because I'm, you know, I'm playing this homeless a heroin addict. Right. That's, your, that's a, your food. Yeah that's, this, that's, yeah. that's your food for the and, day. Yeah. And I got this bag. It looks like I've already been eating this for days. <laughs> like, like for me to spit it out, it would make absolutely no sense. It would, it would basically ruin the gimmick. Yeah. So I crunch this stuff up in my mouth and slide on up in the ring and wrestle a very uncomfortable match with cotton mouth for, for probably a solid 20 minutes. <laughs> So down down the hatch it went with the Alpo or the the off brand Alpo or whatever it might be. <laughs> who who were you working that night? I was just thinking. I think that was Chris Nunn because um, I think Colossus I, himself, my I, lord. I think I only did two shows at three hundred four, and one was a four way death match, and it wasn't that match um, because I had. A, I remember I took a barbed wire bat to the ring in that match. So this must have been the match with Chris Nunn, which also had a pizza mishap, which we'll go over at another time. <laughs> hey, go, go, fi- go figure. Two of the biggest guys in the company at the time in the ring, and there's a pizza involved. <clears throat> so what's your, what's your story here? You got one. Oh, my. Well, how am I, how am I going to follow the, uh, the off-brand dog food on the way, on the way to the ring here? Uh, so, someone recently asked me about, uh, about throwing potatoes. So in, in, in the wrestling business, if you, if you kind of clock somebody for real, uh, that's called a potato. And I don't know where that came from or, or how that came about. Um, I actually thought it was a joke for a long time. I didn't realize that was a term people actually used. But apparently, you know, find, come to find out, yeah, that's, that, that's really what you call it. So um, a, cu- a couple of infamous uh, Paul Mauser potatoes here. Um, I, I, once plant, I once planted a potato garden um, right about your jaw, I think, um, when uh, I, I 
was li- lining up for a, a clothesline, I believe, and and called the spot. I said, uh, I think it was a punch. I was supposed to duck a punch. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's what it was. This, this one was a long time ago. This was this was actually this was actually well well before the pro wrestling days, and we were wrestling around in the backyard on a bunch of mattresses, um, get, get it, getting uh, you know pre career practice, I guess, whatever you might call it. Um, and uh, I, so, I, so you know, I, I wanted to throw this wild, uh, this wild shot, and and, and have John duck it. Um, and w- you know, when you when you call for someone to duck something, you can throw it with the gusto. You know, you you can throw it with a, a lot more than what you would throw something with uh, when you're actually intentionally going to intentionally land it. So, um, I, I called for the duck and start to throw it. And a- as I'm commencing to throw this wild haymaker. Um, John's response was, what? <laughs> and it was too late at that point. By the time this all processed, I was already winging this thing like a fastball. Blasted him. Right. right where, where did this land? Was this, was this was it in the neck or the I ear? Think, where did, I think where did I this? took a lot of forearm to the neck and the back of your, <laughs> and your, your knuckles kind of clocked me in the back of the head. <laughs> <laughs> so this, just imagine this wild haymaker that I was—I wanted to really make it look dramatic and make it look ridiculous, like I, like I was swinging for the fences because I was, but it never had any intention of landing. But um, yeah, that was uh, that landed. That landed. I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> yes. sure it, it, it felt wonderful. And apparently, I have—I have a history of planting potatoes on people that can probably whip my ass. Because years later in Glenville, I'm down at uh, Glenville State College. Uh, we're we're doing doing some uh, some pro wrestling stuff down there, and none other than West Virginia boxing legend Bill Shahan was down there with us. And Bill did a short stint with us, with you know, with you and me and, and Chris Nunn and Justin Wortham. Uh, Bill did a short stint with us down there doing some pro wrestling. And a lot of people don't know this. Yeah. Well, Bill is one of the baddest dudes to ever walk the face of the earth. I mean, the the guy the guy won a bunch of uh, uh, tough man um, competitions and, and got his uh, you know turned pro in boxing. Won a bu- won some pro titles in boxing. Even won a kickboxing title. In yeah, his, the West Virginia title. Yeah, yeah he won a, a West Virginia pro uh, pro kickboxing title, and it was his first ever kickboxing match. <laughs> <laughs> that was that's what kind of badass Bill uh, Bill Shahan uh, is. Well, anyway. Unbeknownst to me, from all this fighting, from all from the you know his career in, in, in fighting, Bill had a busted eardrum, so he had a bad ear. He couldn't hear out of one side. So I grab him up to shoot him off the ropes. I'm going to shoot him off the ropes and throw the big clothesline. And again, this was a spot that I was not planning on landing, so I threw it really hard. I called the spot in his ear. I said I, I told him to duck. Bill never heard it because I called it in his bad ear. I didn't realize that Bill couldn't hear me, so I, sh- I shoot him off the ropes. He comes charging back at me at 100 miles an hour. I throw the clothesline right at his mouth. I mean, right <laughs> at his teeth. My bicep connects with him right in the dental work, and his feet shoot out from under him, and he flies He he flies underneath. His feet shoot out. When he lands, his feet are under the bottom rope, sticking out the back of the ring. That's how hard he hit. When, when he slammed when he slammed into my arm, um, my I actually like my bicep bruised up after that. Like that's how hard his face hit me in the arm. And you know my first thought was I hope he's okay. 
And my second thought was, I hope he's not pissed. Because <laughs> if Bill Shahan, if the, you know, if this if this uh, professional boxer decides that he's pissed off at me, I don't know if there's much I'm going to be able to do about it. <laughs> I'm just going to have to cover up in the corner and take whatever he dishes out. But luckily. To Bill, it was just another day day in the office because he used to get hit in the face a lot harder than that. Right. So he, he really didn't care. <clears throat> All right. Well, I think we're out of time here. We're going to have to wrap it up. Um, they're about to use our undisclosed location for something else. <laughs> um, <laughs> you, mean, you mean this isn't reserved for podcasts only? I thought this was the podcast only room. <laughs> nope. They're going to they're gonna usher us out and do the next... Uh, underground illegal uh, radio broadcast um, <laughs> anyway so this is uh, John the Viking Mauser with the Get Strong or Die podcast episode 5 um, we'll be back again uh, next week every Friday we'll be dropping bombs hey and if your next uh, if your next guest is banned from the podcast again let me know I'll be happy to join you <laughs> alright will do thanks a lot Paul <laughs>